Do you ever find yourself yearning to look beyond the obvious and dreaming about what's possible in your next chapter? Welcome to the Next Chapter Experience. I'm your host, Jeanette Blissett, former corporate executive who turned the page to become a best-selling author, entrepreneur, designer, and lifestyle business consultant. Episodes feature me and a kaleidoscope of guests who share their journeys with wit, candor, and humor, breathing life into real talks about things that matter most. I believe we all have a fire burning within us, waiting to be unleashed and shared with the world. It may just be a matter of time. So let's get together, turn the page, and get this adventure started. Welcome to the Next Chapter Experience. I'm Jeanette Blissett, your host. Today's guest is Vicky Dello Joyo. And Vicky draws on decades of theater performance and directing experience. Vicky stands apart from the other trainers by focusing on the crafting of the stories her clients tell and the energy behind how they deliver their message so their audiences can feel and remember them forever. And she is one who fires up visionary speakers to amplify their charisma and deliver their message with passion, presence, and power. Since 1987, her methods have touched and transformed hundreds of speakers to stand and deliver with joy, with confidence. Welcome, Vicki, to the Next Chapter Experience. Great talking to you again. It's such a pleasure to be back, Jeanette. I just love your podcast so much. I feel so honored to be here. So thank you for inviting me back. Two things that I would like to talk to you about today. One is the autumn course that you have that launches on October 10th. I want to talk about that. And I also would like to talk about your guide to Let's Get Real About Charisma, the three tips to inspire and motivate your audience every time you speak. Yeah. Wow. This is what I'm getting chills. I'm excited. You're talking about stuff that's just in my mind all the time right now. Perfect. Absolutely. So when we first met, I think that our listeners got a a sense of who you are, the, the energy you bring is the energy that matters most, the way of joy. And that was a really good intro for me to get to know you. The book for people who didn't hear the last interview is basically my take on these ancient Taoist practices and how I have interpreted some of the theories that inform these energy practices. And when I say energy practices, practices that are good for your health, I also think of them as being very good for your spirit. In fact, I think of it as my own personal spiritual practice. It's embodied prayer in a way. And it's also good for how we gate relationships and how we show up, whether it's on a stage, whether it's one-on-one in person, whether it's in our families or communities or religious institutions or whatever. That way of Joy is the Vicky Della Joyo take on these practices that come from another culture than I'm from. I'm not Asian. It originated in China and Tibet. I am white, European, Jewish, Italian, and partly Arab. So I don't have any, as far as I'm aware, have any biological connection, but I do have a sense of being drawn to this all the time. And so I had to really look at what did it mean for me as a white person to teach these practices that come from another culture without appropriating them, honoring the traditions that they come from, and at the same time, knowing that me as a Western person is only going to understand so much of the depth of where that's coming from in terms of the lineages and the history and the cultures that it comes from, but that because Taoism is so forgiving and very inclusive, there's a way in which we can all make it our own. So I'm not pretending to teach something that is coming forward from specific lineage, but more what I've done is I've done a hybrid because I've been doing this 
worked for well over 50 years now, and how to really make these practices live in a Western mindset, in a Western world, in a way that becomes useful to us at the same time honoring the traditions, because I did study with traditional teachers and traditional Mm -hmm. Chinese folks, but it's how do I do that funny balance for those of us who are teaching or doing something from a different culture. So that's what the way of joy is. And the way of joy with these Qigong practices are what informs a lot of the work that I'm doing now. I do teach Qigong classes that people come to, but my focus has really been on how do we deliver our message, who we are, come forward in ourselves, in our power, regardless of what's happened to us, to be able to to get that across from the heart in a way that lands with the people who we are speaking to. That's interesting because in reading your book, I was struck by the parallels as they relate to movement and music, because it seems like from the very beginning, you were a star. You were always moving and dancing, (laughs) according to your book, and had the freedom of expression. Oh, I love that. My mom, in her infinite wisdom, took me to some audition for some show, a theater show, Summerstock show of Finian's Rainbow. And I got in, it was one of the little kids in this musical comedy, and I fell in love with it. And so theater then became something that I just absolutely pursued very deeply until I was in my teens. And then things started to shift a little bit. But I think that I had a yearning for that self-expression that you're, what you're seeing and what I was writing about in the book. But in fact, there wasn't a lot of room for that in the space that I grew up. It was really Italian, patriarchal, very closed. When I was very little, I had this sense of a deep artistic connection with my dad. And so we would have people over and then he would play the piano and I would dance and I would imagine sending love from my heart to everybody watching. So I did have that in me, but it got whittled down, especially as I got to being 12, 13, started going to pre-adolescent, adolescence. And then all of a sudden it was not okay because before I was just a cute, like a doll. The doll does its thing and then the doll goes back in the drawer. So it wasn't like open creative season for Vicky, <laughs> but that's where you got it. I love yeah. that that's what you highlight. That's wonderful. Yeah, yeah, I could see it. I could see it. You grew up in New York. I did. Yeah, yeah. in Manhattan. And then I do remember during the summer in New York, they would have these auditions for different plays and things like that. And I remember one time I actually went and auditioned. And I have to tell you that I don't have a singing voice, never did, never will. And obviously I wasn't selected. If I had to sing to, for my audition, I wasn't selected either. Okay. I just had to be there and read some lines. Oh my God, oh my God. I wrote down here that the way of joy is your offering to the ever-evolving, all-encompassing worldview of Qigong, love of dance and performance and theater. I wrote those notes down for myself for this conversation. Nice. Yeah, so I started studying Tai Chi Chuan, which is one style of Qigong, or you could say is one derivative of Qigong back in, let me back up. So Qigong is one of these big words. I don't remember if I said this last time, but big words like dance. You can say dance. I do dance. Well, do you do an alley? Do you do tap? Do you do ballet? Do you do Martha Graham? What kind of dance do you do? So same with Qigong, which is a relatively new term that came up in China in the 50s to encompass all of these different practices where people were working with meditation, energy, moving energy in their bodies through movement, breath. There's also internal Qigong where you're doing visualization. The things that unite all of those things together gets called Qigong is basically working your Qi or playing with in that field. And Tai Chi is a martial art version of Qigong. There's spiritual Qigong, there's medical Qigong, and Tai Chi is more of a martial art. So I had started with the martial art and actually in a theater school. I had gone to theater school in San Francisco and there was a Tai Chi teacher. He was an old Chinese man. I'll never forget his face. And I think I was very old, probably 60 or something younger than I am now. 
now. But he, his big claim to fame was that he had a young wife who had just had a baby. And it was like proof that Tai Chi was good for your virility. And as a young lesbian, I could have cared less. But when we started to do the movement, because he was brought into this theater school to do Tai Chi for actors. This is way back in the early 70s. No, late 60s. Tai Chi for actors. And I'd never heard of it at that time. But when I started doing the movement, it felt like coming home. I don't know how else to say it. It was almost like I was remembering how to do it as opposed to learning how to do it. It was like, oh yeah. And then you do this and then you do that. And I, it was just really an incredible thing. And so I continued with the Tai Chi for quite a while and then started going into more Qigong, which is differentiate by saying that it's more working with different types of practices. Watch some of your videos on YouTube and some of the movements that you're demonstrating and everyone is following you. And the movements, I wanted to ask you about that. What is the purpose of the different movements that you have your groups doing? Yes, there is meaning to those movements. And basically what you're doing in general with Qigong is trying to instill a place of really being able to come to center. So there's so many things that pull up off center, right? There's so much noise out there that we can get really stressed and all kinds of things. It's about coming back to center, becoming grounded and being connected between what they call heaven and earth or between your inspiration, the sense of being able to have perspective and the acts that you do. How do you walk your talk? What are the things that you manifest? What are you creating in your life? And so Qigong is, and this is part of the practical application of it, but when we're doing the movements, some of the movements that I teach are based in medical Qigong. So they're about balancing the different organ systems. And the organ systems are in five element. Chinese medicine are based on seasons and there's a lot of association. So right now, for example, we're in autumn, which is the time of the lungs. And, the, and it's also the associated organ is the large intestine. So this is all about a time of releasing and letting go, just like trees are letting go of their leaves. We're releasing. And the, when we move chi through the lungs, we're bringing in a sense of courage. So in a way, I think of it as courage to let go, being able to really be able to come back to the essence of who we are, to go back into the trusting that self, because the associated element is metal, which is this also sometimes called gold. And so it's like going to the gold of who you are. What's the essence? What is the thing that's carried you through from the time you were little to, to where you are now? And that will take you through to the end of your days, this essence of who we are, the soul. This is a time to come back to that, revisit that, that place of your own sense of value and self-worth. And then each season has its own lessons, right? That that they've extrapolated, that Taoist, early Taoist extrapolated from viewing nature because Qigong is a very nature based. So it's very beautiful. So these movements, sometimes they're about, for example, there's, I just taught a, a workshop for the autumn, was all working with different movements to help activate the lungs, slow ourselves down, come back to the breath, allow the capacity lungs to grow, and also to have a sense of letting go, releasing any tension as we draw forward the lessons or the harvest of what we're bringing from the summer. Other movements are, I think of them as, like I said, I'm almost an embodied prayer, not so much in a religious sense, but in a sense of what is your intention? For example, there's a Qigong exercise called transition, which is working with different aspects of what happens in change when we're in change, whether we're changing our jobs, whether we're changing a relationship, whether we're changing from one activity to another, where there's a point of where you're letting go and then you're drawing new energy in and then you're integrating it and you're making internal space for that change to happen and then you're allowing it to happen and then there's a time of contraction coming home to reevaluate and recognize what those changes are. And there's a very Cliff Notes version of something that's much bigger than that. So there's six movements that go with that and when you sit, what you're doing is you're actually allowing yourselves to carry forward some of the intention that you might have. For example, if you're moving into the fall and so this 
is a time where things are becoming bare, but at the same time, culturally, at least here in the States, everything is accelerated, right? It's Q4 for people in businesses. What are we going to create? How are we going to make the most money? And so when you're thinking about those intentions and releasing and moving into something different, there's these different practices that can help hold that along with, so it's not just in your brain or in your gut, but it's actually your cells are holding it so that you are able to be in a less effortful way of creation. Interesting. So the 10-week autumn Qigong class series that's online. Yes. Okay. Well, what's that going to look like? Basically, it's a 45-minute class and we do a little bit of physical warm-up. So basically, you watch me. I can see you in your little boxes, but I'm highlighted so you can see me in a bigger box and we do some movement, just very gentle movement to warm up your body. And then we start to do some of these different practices. I'm going to be working in the autumn series with this concept of transition and also with a form called Embrace the Wind, Caress the Moon, which is all about when we focus on the small, there's great power in terms of how that can move out. I think it's almost like an atomic power. So it's about really being able to come and focus on small pieces and allowing them to emanate out in a larger field. And I'm speaking a little bit esoterically right now, but the way the class looks is we'll do some movement and then I'll ask people, what, what are you releasing? What are you drawing in? People will put it in the chat or they'll unmute themselves. So we'll have a little conversation and then we'll go back to practice. But I really like to bring in people's wisdom because to me, the movements, it's all fine for me to say, this is for that. And this is for that. And you can do this and that, which is unilateral. But for me, the real power comes when it's reciprocal, when there's energy going back and forth between us. So I always encourage my students to keep their camera on if they feel comfortable, but they don't have to. There's Everything is optional, right? You can do it in however you want. Some people just watch the recording, but basically within the context of the class, people interact, we interact with each other. And then we do these different practices and I'm teaching these practices that then they can do during the week. And then we come back in and we check in about it. And how does that work for you? And how do we deepen it? And then I give them more information about truly what to do or energetically what to do or what their focus is. So there's a lot that goes on in that 10 weeks. And it's really going from fall into winter. There's so much to say about that 10 week class. Does that answer your question? Yeah. So it begins on October 10th. It's every single week. It's on Mondays. But I do have people coming in from Europe, Mexico, Canada, all across the country, the US. People who can't make it live, there are people who just sign up and get the recordings and practice that way. And then I encourage them to interact with me on text or email. Because the more you bring yourself into these forms, the more you're aligning your own thoughts with them, the more powerful they are. It's all fine and good to do just Qigong and just do the movements when they're empty. But when you have intention behind them, it's synergistic optimization of what you can accomplish. So at the end of the 10 weeks, what would be the expectation if there's an expectation as to the completion and then what outcome would your students expect? People report that they experience over and over again at the end of a series of classes like this is they feel more present, more calm, more ability to come back to center quickly. So when there's stressors in their lives, whether it's in their home or in their business or any place else, that they can breathe their way back to feeling grounded and feeling connected with themselves so that they can speak their truth from a place of power as opposed to defensiveness. They'll have some actual practices that they can do anytime. So in January, they're in the middle of some kind of shift or change. They can pull up this transition. They'll have the video if they need it. They'll have these practices under their belt. It just helps to sustain a place of being able to be in this, what I call power presence, being in your power, being present with whatever it is that's happening. 
not being in your power by shutting things out, but by being actually in relationship to what's happening. And then also being with connection to their passion, to what matters to them, what's driving them, what's motivating you. So during these classes, we're aligning these three elements of heaven, which is about your observer self being able to be present. Oh, my, my gut's really clenching right now because I'm feeling really triggered about something. Let me just take a moment to breathe and see what's there so that I can come back and be with you. And being able to name it, being able to express it. That's all the heart, the human realm is all about being able to match what's happening internally with what's happening externally in ways that feel appropriate within the context of your boundaries, because the human realm is all about boundaries. And I think of boundaries as something that connect us as opposed to separate us. And I could wrap on and on about boundaries. And then the earth realm, which is about, like I said, how you walk your talk. What is it that you're creating? What is it that you want to create toward as this year comes to a close? And particularly can be applied in your business if you're an entrepreneur or something like that, but it can also just be about what do you want in yourself, for yourself, in terms of how you're meeting your needs for self-care or how you're creating balance in your life or how you're doing what you're doing with a sense of integrity, how to come back to that. These are all techniques that help with that. They help activate the chi in you and they help remind you that you have that access to power. You can go there. It's about just knowing how. And these practices help. At least they help me and they've helped at this point thousands of students. I've been teaching this for a long time. Okay. So when you mention chi, what comes to my mind is energy. Yes. It's energy. It's the type of energy that puncturists and acupressurists work on. It's basically, you can think of it as an electromagnetic field in your body. It's part of energy in terms of, do I have energy to get up out of bed? There's that energy. And then you can talk about somebody having good vibes, right? They have good energy. What does that mean? There's something that's that's recognizable, but not necessarily nameable. Yeah. Yeah. We talked a little bit about that the first time. It's interesting, actually, from the standpoint that you become an observer of people and And yourself. That's true. And how you respond to certain people because I'm always curious about that. It's like, why do you feel this way? Yes. He's a really good place to go to. Curiosity is a good antidote to judgment. Very good. Let's talk about, let's get real about charisma. I want to talk about that because a lot (laughs) of people struggle with public speaking. It's the number one fear people have, they say. People would rather be in the grave than being on top talking. That's really scary for a lot of people. Why do you think that is? That's a great question. I don't think I've ever been quite asked that before. I think that it could be a, a lot of reasons, but I think a lot of it has to do with projected self-judgment. How are people going to see me? Am I going to be okay? Will people like what I have to say? Will they like me? Do I have spinach in my teeth? What are the judgments that I have about myself that other people are going to validate? I think that's probably a primary thing. I was talking to somebody yesterday, a client who said she just is afraid she's not going to know what to say. And when we dove into that a little more, it was that there's things like she might not have access easily to certain words. And so then what do you do when that happens? And so for me, charisma is not so much about the mesmerizing, charismatic, send me your dollar type of scam, but more what is it that makes people lean forward, want to connect, want to feel, want to hear you, lean into what you have to say. What is that? What is it that attracts them? And that's when we start to get into some of these energetics that I'm talking about in my guide. In this guide, the three keys to inspire and motivate others every time you speak. 
shake it awake technique. What about this? So I think that a lot of speaker trainers or people who work with speakers talk about how to use the microphone or how to create the talk that they're going to do. The work that I do, I'm really looking at two things. I'm looking at what is your story? What is the story that you need to tell? Because the story is what carries the message. So I'm looking at how to craft a story in a way that really engages people and lets them feel you, not just hear you. My speaking program I used to do was called Rockstar Speaking. And it wasn't because I wanted to say, oh, you're a rock star. You're so famous. It wasn't about that. It was about when you go to a rock concert and the music is vibrating, your bones vibrate with it. That's the kind of impact that I want my speakers to have, that when you're speaking, people's bones vibrate or you're shaking up their thinking or you're you're allowing for transformation to happen through your message. So that's why I called it that. And what I said is so people will feel you, not just hear you. So they don't just hear a bunch of words, but they feel what you're talking. It's creating that empathy. Maya Angelou says that people won't remember what you said, but they'll remember how you made them feel. But it's such an important message. And I think that the way that you make people feel is through your story. So when I work with people, I'm working on what is their story? How do we allow vulnerability to come forward in that story within the context of that person's boundaries? And also, you don't want to have the kind of vulnerability where you feel like your audience, this is specifically for speakers right now, feels like, oh, no, I'm so sorry that happened to you, where you have pity or a sense of people wanting to fix it for you. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about vulnerability as strength, being able to say, this happened to me, and this is how I work with it, to own your own process as being valid. So what is your story? What is the story you're telling yourself? How is that matching with what you're externalizing? And then the other is, how do you deliver it? How do you tell that story in a way that grabs people as opposed to just putting out a flood of information where they're still disengaged? So that's what I'm really looking at. And so I'm calling it power presence now because these three keys are that I'm talking about, they're passion, presence, and power. And so passion has to do with your heart. It has to do with what is it that motivates you? There's a concept in Qigong called the cobra and the lamb. And the cobra is the part of ourselves. If you think of a cobra going up your spine and spreading its hood and it's getting really full, it's about what drives you, whether it's issues of social justice, whether it's about people being healthy, whether it's about what is it that you really care about the most. That's that passion that we tap into first because that kind of informs everything else. Presence has to do with what I said about the observer self, which you said is observing other people and also observing what's happening in you, being able to come to that place of being present no matter what. For example, one time I was on a stage, I don't know how many people I was speaking to, it was probably a thousand or more, but all of a sudden this train went by and it was like this sound that just completely took over the room and everybody was all shook up. And I said, let's take that sound and let's just move it up our spine and see what that feels like. And people did and they got a lot out of that sound that was vibrating up their bones. So I was able to, instead of trying to talk over it or pretend it wasn't happening, I used it. That requires a certain level of being present and being okay with what is, embracing it, saying, okay, where will I go with that right now? So that ability to be spontaneous because I work with an improvisational theater group. And so improv informs a lot of what I do in terms of as a speaker, because you never know what's going to happen when you get on a stage or when you're presenting to a group of people. That is scary. It can be. The, the whole thing about stage fright and feeling 
feeling intimidated, that's all energy. And it's all energy that gets stuck. And when you get it moving, it can become excitement. Uh, Fritz Perl said, fear is excitement without breath. I always love that. And so unless you're running from immediate harm, is unless you're actually in flight, we often respond to things from that place of fear when it doesn't really call for that. And there's a lot of techniques that I do on how to get around that. And then the final one is this the sense of power. And that's really about being grounded and really owning your story from the roots up, letting yourself stand on the shoulders of your ancestors, stand on the shoulders of the people. And I don't just mean your biological ancestors, it could be your spiritual ancestors too, people who've inspired you and brought you to be who you are. So these three elements that I talk about in the guide, in this free guide that you downloaded, I'm so happy to hear, is really looking at what are some of the techniques that help activate the energy behind each of those so that you can be a better speaker. Then in terms of what is the story, sometimes it's helpful to get some coaching on that. And I think of stories as being modular. So when I'm working with people who are podcast guesting or who are speaking on summits or who are speaking on stages or wherever, to be able to have your stories like a string of pearls or like different modules that you can pull on. I never know what story I'm going to tell on a podcast. It's just as I'm talking, uh, an example will come to mind. So it's really about having a bunch of different modules that you can then expand or contract. So you can know what's your central story, what's the main story you want to tell, or you want to bring in other stories to illustrate things. And then you can move them around almost like a jigsaw puzzle. You can move things around to be able to become really fluid because it's your story. You know it. And once you know how to craft a story and tell it well, it makes all the difference in the world. I see it with my clients again and again. So I'm a good director. I'm I'm good at helping people bring their story up. It's just something that I've known how to do forever. There's another piece that I wanted to say about the speaking. I have a lot of stories about how to stand in your power when you're talking to someone where the stakes are high. So when you're on stage, the stakes are high, obviously, right? Because you have a lot of people there looking at you and it matters. But sometimes the stakes are high when we're just about to step into a room and we've just had a conflict. And so part of the work that I have done is also with something called powerful non-defensive communication, which was created by someone who is really one of my closest friends. Her name is Sharon Strand Ellison, brilliant speaker, brilliant storyteller, and just a genius in terms of the system that she's created. And so this whole concept of how to be non-defensive, which doesn't mean it's different from being defensive or less, those are the two no-win choices. But when we're non-defensive, no matter what the other person's doing, whether they're agreeing with us or not, and this is so important right now when the country, the U.S. is so divided. It's actually not just this country, right? Globally, we're experiencing such enormous amounts of, I think of it as bully culture or a sense of wrangling and self-righteousness and victimization and victim mindset. So being able to speak one-on-one, a lot of the practices that I'm talking to speakers who are speaking on a stage, which is what this guide is more geared toward, applies for when we're speaking in any type of conversation where the stakes are high. And this is, I think, just a really important piece to add on because when we're speaking from a place that's truly coming from the heart, owning your power, being present with what you're hearing, like how are you listening? What are you taking in? What are you tracking? How are you interpreting it? How are you owning your own interpretation of it? So it's not just about reaction. I listen more deeply. How did you come to that? What is it true for me? And then how do I respond from a place that's respectful heartfelt and also still in my power so that I can be completely at your feet learning something and still be in my power. And and that's another piece that really drives me. I'm in a community of people who work with these skills of powerful non-defense. I'm a master trainer in it. I've been doing it for, gosh, 
that's probably close to 30 years now. It's a practice for me, like it's the language of Wei Qi. If Wei Qi, which we haven't talked about on this podcast that much, but it's externalized energy, how you express yourself. This is the language that allows us to navigate that place from a place of really being empowered and also truthful, being able to give feedback that's honest, but not harsh, being able to create boundaries with predictions and consequences that are not about punishing, but first and foremost, to be able to move into curiosity, particularly when you feel there's a conflict or there's difference, is to be able to understand better where the other person's piece of ground is. It's a whole other discussion. So that's why curiosity, being able to ask curious questions is the fundamental skill in how to be in a powerful non-defensive communication type of conversation. How do we hold curiosity there where the stakes feel high, for example, here in this country? So I feel like, how do we talk about race? How do we talk about gender inequality? How do we talk about gay rights? How do we talk about disability issues? How do we talk about these things from a place that's non-defensive? And so curiosity is the number one place, being able to own what you believe from a place of not trying to push, convince, or persuade, or merge, but to be able to speak from where I am to be able to create those connections so we can hear each other. And so when I'm talking about power presence, I'm talking about really living in a non-defensive mind and heart. So this is the essence of this. I think of this again as the language of Wei Chi. It's the language that allows us to move into a place where when we're speaking, whether from a stage or one-on-one or at a community or church or synagogue or uh, mosque, wherever it is that we're speaking, how to be able to speak in a place that emanates out this good energy that allows for connection and integration as opposed to separation and unilateral power over domination, that old paradigm that I believe and pray is collapsing around us as I speak. I hope. It's just pretty powerful. And I'm sitting here thinking about conversations that I've had where I could do much better acknowledging someone else's thoughts and having thought-provoking questions. Mm -hmm. I think right about now, with the way things are, something's got to give. Yeah. Something has got to give. Yes, this polarity is not sustainable. It's mind-boggling. We're at the brink of a precipice. We really are. You've got a choice of how you think, and then you have opportunity, and there's knowledge, and there's action that you you can take and building community and things of that nature. That's what I love about you, Jeanette, is that you come from such a place of power. You had to have to do what you've done in your life. And you carry that forward now in terms of how you speak and what your stories are and what you're saying. You're coming from that place of making choices, making choices. That is freedom. That is freedom. And you carry that. You carry that with such dignity and grace. It's really beautiful. I appreciate that. Thank you. I'm still developing. Aren't we all? I'm still a work in progress. You know what I mean? We all are. We all are. Oh, it's a joy to connect with you every time, Jeanette. Thank you so much. I want to stay in touch. It was a pleasure to talk with you today. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Next Chapter Experience. If you have already subscribed, rated, and left a review, or shared this podcast with a friend, many, many thanks. For questions, comments, or feedback, reach out to me at Jeanette Lissette at nextchapterexperience.com. We'll be back with more conversations, so until then, keep that fire burning.